Hi everyone and welcome to episode one of Sideload, the podcast from Edelman London's technology team. I'm Simon Madry as part of that team. And the first episode is titled The Delicate Dance of Hype and Trust. Now what we're looking to do in this episode is explore how communications plays a role in the success or demise of technology and how hype can actually erode trust. And these this idea, these two concepts... Um, came from um, some specific areas. The first is around AI, and to borrow from um, Justin, AI has become almost like the salted caramel of the tech industry. It's it's everywhere to the point where we've almost had our fill. Um, and the second idea around trust is triggered from the launch of devices such as um, the Amazon Look, which is, which is quite recent. And uh, for those that don't know, this is the voice-enabled assistant with a camera. You can not only ask Alexa to take photos and videos, but the style check feature actually judges clothes for you and helps you decide that day's outfit. It's aimed at millennials and has obvious ties to retail interests, but it effectively invites cameras into our bedrooms and the implications of this are going to play out you know, once we have that first unboxing. So if I can ask our guests, I've got Justin Westcott, Managing Director of London Technology. Hello. And Tim Weber, Senior Director of London Technology and former BBC and Technology Editor at BBC News Online. Hello. If I can throw to you gentlemen, maybe start with Justin. Why might some people be saying that they're already over AI and other technologies before we've even seen the first generation uh, reach its full potential? Good question. Uh, and I suppose you start with, well, who's everyone? Uh, I mean, it depends on the circles which you talk about. Um, there's a there's a well-known uh, law for sort of getting technologies accepted, which is the law of diffusion, um, which is sort of you know tried and tested over a number of years. Um, you start with trying to seed the market with people that share the same interest as you, um, you know, someone who really has the shared belief in why the uh, innovators that then move into people who are early adopters because they like the people like the innovators who've got these technologies and they can understand the purpose it will fulfill and the utility it provides. This then would shift to what we call the early majority and the late majority and bang, you become a widely accepted technology, which is all about utility and it's all about people understanding the why you do it and not what you do. There's also a problem uh, of buzzword bingo. Um, just too many companies, uh, too many PR companies as well, and technology companies try to play buzzword bingo. They jump on whatever technology is widely covered right now and try to tag their own tech to it. Um, when I was a journalist, uh, there was one year where I would probably not get a single pitch without the word cloud attached. And for a while, it was, I don't know, the latest app for smartphones, then big data, and now it is uh, AI. And here's a problem that this really, really muddies the waters because it completely <clears throat> destroys any sensible definition of what we have. The second thing is if, of course, you play this buzzword bingo and everybody jumps onto that bandwagon of that buzzword, um, people very quickly get tired of it. The problem is that technology innovation does not work in one-year cycles or in buzzword cycles. It's something that evolves over a decade or so. It's a communication problem, which is this buzzword bingo, but it's also uh, an innovation problem, uh, and that is the other thing, which is overpromise. And the overpromise has um, two reasons. People who are early to market 
try to generate attention. Therefore, they say, hey, it can already do that. And there's of, very often a confusion of what <laughs> vision is and what reality is. And uh, then, of course, uh, in come the dreaded PRs who just ever so slightly, and sometimes not so slightly, over-egg the pudding. And they uh, use superlatives uh, to describe something, and they're just not justified. And that's then the outcome. People, I don't know, hold that fancy gadget or use that service and talk to the Alexas Cortana's series of this world, and they say, why doesn't she understand me? Why doesn't it talk back? Why doesn't he deliver whatever I was told? And that's then when this trust gaps, gap opens up. And it does so with every single technology. I think you're right, Tim. Uh, and to use a superlative, that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I meant that. I, th I think you're right. I think with some of these uh, technologies at the moment that are labelled AI, and, and obviously from a consumer standpoint, you think of Alexa and Cortana and Siri, and thinking about Alexa in particular, it feels that we, the world, that are using these technologies are actually part of a beta programme. Uh, and mm. where historically these technologies perhaps would have been tested for a lot longer, we're, we, the consumers, seem to be ready to be the guinea pigs and to test. You know, let's be honest, um, you know, Alexa, great product, I've used it myself at, at home. Do I, am I yet seeing the full benefit? No, but I've kind of bought into the promise that it will get better. And that's an interesting sort of way in which this technology in particular is, is playing out. But, but here's the thing, do consumers buy into that? There's this difference mm. of um, early adopter yep, behavior yep and general consumer behavior. If you remember in the 1990s, uh, BT, when they still had their very own uh, mobile phone service, uh, which later became O2, I believe, um, they were offering the mobile internet, and they showed a cyber surfer su surfing the net. All it was uh, was a WAP service that was insanely slow, <coughs> hardly... I mean, it was just atrocious to use, hardly any information on it, a horrible user experience, but it was overpromised as to what it could do. And uh, today, in a way, we're kind of under-promising what technology can do, and that, that also causes confusion. So, you know, Alexa, for example, comes with endless skills. Cortana can do amazing things. Siri, Siri, I've been told, also can do great things. All these, all these things out there... Um, uh, are very, very powerful, but we only know a tiny corner of what they can do. And that also means that we only understand a little bit of what they can do. And then people are suddenly surprised, oh, it does that. And maybe they feel it's negative to them. They never understood it because there's just too much uh, uh, of capability uh, and it's very difficult to communicate it because to communicate it we use a buzzword, mm. cloud. Uh, AI or whatnot. What does it mean? It, it means nothing. Yeah, yes. and this is probably why there are, there are probably more smartwatches in drawers than there are on, witches, watch, on wrists at the moment. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, a, a technology that perhaps has been slightly hyped ahead of the true understanding of utility, yeah. which sure. is key. Yeah. So, so, so simplification breeds both exaggeration mm. and and this kind of narrowing of of the message of what we do. I mean, for. So with great power uh, comes great responsibility, to quote that uh, Spider-Man movie, uh, Spider movie line. But with, with great power also comes a very long uh, user manual and an even longer end-user license agreement. Uh, but nobody is reading that and nobody is getting that. 
And that's what makes it so difficult to communicate. If there's all that stuff in there, how do you unpack it and make it clear? And, and that, I think that's the biggest problem that companies and that, that public relations firms have. How do you communicate something that is ultimately insanely complex without boring people uh, to pieces? Um, and it's actually something that's not just a problem of the tech industry. If you look, for example, at science news, mm. it has just exactly the same problem, where either the scientists or the PR departments of scientists dramatically mm, exaggerate or, or <laughs> oversimplify of what's happening here. And then people say, oh, this has been solved. No, it hasn't. Yeah. Oh, this has been found. No, it hasn't. But we've made a step. Uh, it's, again, the evolution of innovation. Um, uh, we, we jump ahead of ourselves. We confuse vision and reality. Yeah, they, 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 otherwise, people have said, we, we tend to uh, overhype in the short term, but yeah. underestimate in the long term yes. the impact of these technologies. And it kind of feels, you know, coming back to the, the original question around AI, I think we're somewhere there. Um, but, you know, AI actually is nothing new. As Tim pointed out, this is, this is R&D technology harkening back to the 50s. You know, you go back to Turing to to be honest, is probably one of the first proponents of this technology. It just happens to be that we are coming to a point where it's becoming very real um, and becoming increasingly powerful as we have a confluence of multiple technologies all stacking up at the same time. I do think we're probably in that phase of overhyping the short, but I would be cognizant of the fact that we're probably underestimating in the long term. Yeah, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like, if you remember when our... Mobile phones had cameras. In the beginning, I said, well, why would I use my camera on it? Nobody uses a camera on it. And suddenly, you found saw grannies on the train showing each other pictures uh, of their grandchildren and uh, on, on, their, on their phone. It wasn't even necessarily a smartphone, but uh, a, a feature phone. Uh, it sneaks up on us, and it just really unleashes its full power, this technology, at the point when the early adopters have nearly dismissed it. Look, virtual reality is the same thing. At the moment, it's a bit of a cutting-edge early adopter thing. And by the time we have dismissed it as a failed technology or not really, failed, uh, not, not really impactful technology, probably everybody will just at that moment start using it. Yeah, we, um, uh, as, as an industry, the technology industry, becomes a prisoner of its own hype, well, mm. of, of not realizing or not remembering that there is a hype curve, yeah, where there's this trough of dis disillusionment just as a general adoption may happen. And in very, very many technologies it does happen, but we uh, just don't pay attention at that point because we've moved on to the next buzzword. Ooh, shiny, something new, something new. And that's silly. And so if I can ask, I mean, one of the arguments for where hype is or not just required but almost necessary is when you look at startups and looking at VC funding and talking about what they do. I mean, if you look at that area, you know, how much hype is permissible and kind of how do you balance that out? Uh, good question. Um Tough question as well. Uh, as you're right, for these uh, these startups and various sizes and, and scale ups, always have to be talking about the future market opportunity. Uh, and at the moment, it has never been easier to actually get 
cash. Uh, there's so much of it floating around from VCs and private equity at the moment. And it, it's amazing how many companies are born and or invested in based on a great story, uh, which is one about future promise and one of future hype. Um, the challenge there is the gap between hype and the reality to deliver. Uh, and we've seen a um, number of those examples in recent years of uh, companies that received an awful lot of funding, unable to actually deliver on the hype and the reality. So for me, I think it's one you have to – it's a, a, a fine balancing act to get the right amount of hype to attract the investment. And you need the investment to do the building to deliver on the hype. But it's making sure you don't go too far. Um, and look, you know, I don't, don't want to – Speak out, but can't wait to see some stuff out of Magic Leap, um, a company that have done a great job in, in hyping uh, to a point now there are questions about whether they're actually to del- able to deliver on the reality. Um, personally, being an optimist and some of the people I know that have met with that organization, I do believe they'll come through. Um, but it goes to show how, how patient are we? Um, and I wonder if you're unable to deliver on the hype quickly enough, you then become seen as someone who missed that's very damaging. Uh, I couldn't possibly comment on, on Magic Leap. I'm not quite sure I agree with your optimistic assessment. <laughs> but I think as a technology field, mixed reality, uh, augmented reality will be very big and we're going to get there. Uh, and that will be true innovation. Actually, one of the big problems of startups is um, that the term innovation, I think, is overused, totally overused. Uh, innovation is sometimes equated with technology, mm. and it isn't technology. Innovation means a new process, a, a, a better way, a cleverer way of t- doing things. Having a new smartphone with a fingerprinter and it's the 49th or the 515th of that, that is not innovation. But uh, you know, just delivering IT through the cloud, that is not innovation. But if you dramatically change the experience of what you do or how you do it or simplify it, uh, that's uh, that is innovation. That is different, and I think um, a lot of startups uh, don't properly innovate, actually. And uh, and here's the or or if they innovate, they don't quite know how to talk about it and how to explain why it is different. I sit down with uh, quite a lot of companies and. Uh, we try to develop how they talk about themselves, and what's quite intriguing is that sometimes they themselves, they know they do something that is different and new, but they find it very difficult to explain it. And that's where all too often companies then fall into that hype, fall into that buzzword or whatnot, instead of looking what is really different. Yeah, And maybe it is affiliated to whatever the buzzword is, whether it's AI or whatnot, but actually this is not artificial intelligence. It delivers a certain... Uh, has a certain functionality. So AI, uh, um, uh, one of uh, our colleagues, uh, Drew, just uh, met a guy who's running an AI, and um, they can, of course, step out saying, hey, you've got an AI. Uh, uh, Alternatively, they can say, we have found a way of organizing, taking notes, and sharing notes um, from meetings in a way that will transform your meeting experience. And they do that using AI. But if you focus on the experience, you have a much more cleverer, immediate way of doing it than just waving the big AI flag. So this is what companies have to do, really step back and say, is it really the buzzword we should talk about? 
or is it that innovation is a true innovation that we should talk about? Perfect. And I mean, you've you've answered my next question is, you know, how do we prevent hype? Is it a case, is this as simple as avoiding buzzwords and just going back to, you know, the essence of, of what we do or what the product does, or what the service does and how it actually changes people's lives and experience? Like, is that the way to do it? Yeah, again, as Simon Sinek would say, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think the the key to great storytelling is getting to that that core of why. Um, It then becomes very hard to to overhype if you've got a real clarity of message there at that why point. The problem where hype comes in, and Tim was touching on it, is when people focus too much on the what. You know, AI is a what, it's not a why. Uh, and I think um, you can very quickly get laddered up in confusing language and, and superlatives and buzzwords if you haven't really understood truly the, the why. You know, what are you really doing and how are people going to be impacted as a result of it? Uh, well, a key thing here, uh, that was kind of the title that you mentioned earlier, the delicate dance of hype and trust. Trust is at the heart of it, mm. really. Uh, so how can how can a young company, a startup company that hasn't got a track record, convince people if it fails to build trust? Uh, as soon as it is found out with something not being quite right, something being overpromised, very quickly trust can dissipate. Very few companies manage to establish uh, that notorious reality distortion field that wherever you find holes in their story, they manage to gloss that over. Very, very few people can uh, do that. Very few companies can do that. You have to have a particularly forceful, charismatic CEO and have some fanboys to achieve that. Generally, especially in the technology industry, and especially with things like AI, where for most people it is a black box and they don't know what's happening in that black box. Whenever a black box is being used, you have to establish trust. How does it work? Um, there were a lot of warnings about AI recently, you know, Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, and so on. Um, the most intriguing uh, story I read recently suggested that we've now reached the point where we do not understand anymore what is happening in a true AI. How is it thinking? How is it coming to its conclusions? Now, that's a scary point. So how, at that point, if that is indeed the case, do you as a company establish trust? Or if you as a startup dabble with some form of AI, how do you make sure we still have control, we still understand what's going on, we still get a service delivered in a way, uh, in a quality, in a, with the right ethical principles behind it, that we want to trust it as consumers? Uh, Actually, there's another thing for communicators. So if we work with companies and they say, hey, we're doing this, uh, we have to interrogate them in a really tough way to make sure that if we don't understand it, then how can we credibly talk about it? And if we can't credibly talk about it, how can we expect consumers to have trust? We can't just say, hey, shiny black box. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, fine, but... What is happening there? Why is it happening? How is it happening? How does it affect me? If we fail to establish trust and that the understanding is good, then it, it all is for nothing ultimately. We, we just set ourselves, we set our clients up for a fall. We set, even worse, consumers up for a fall. 
So you mentioned before working with um, companies and clients and so on and so forth. You know, important thing is to to measure the success of what we're doing. To measure hype, one could argue is you know look at how many pieces of coverage we've got, look how many people are talking about it, how many mentions. But then what we're talking about here is the importance of trust. So if we're wanting to steer people towards building trust, how do you measure that? That's a, a real tough question. Uh, and there are many ways in which you can build trust um, and, and ultimately kind of measure it. If you're taking, looking at through the lens of uh, startups in particular, it seems to be where you were heading with the question, um, you, you've got to be careful. Uh, ultimately, you're probably trying to sell something. Um, and one of the things I'd probably look for is something around client satisf- satisfaction, I'd also be looking for referrals. You know, are people trusting you enough that they want to tell their friends about you? Are they trusting enough that they're going to leave great reviews for you? Are they trusting enough that they're going to engage with you in ongoing communications outside of purchase uh, and point of purchase? So I'd probably look for some of those uh, peripheral and kind of softer measures that give you a sense of kind of loyalty and a, and a sense that people are, are believing you. At the same time, going all the way full circle uh, to the, the beginning when I was talking about the law of diffusion, if you're an early company, one of the ways to sort of gauge whether you're, you're building trust is are you reaching the right audience? And are those people that share a common goal that you have, they're bought into the why, are they engaging with you in the product? Uh, and are you tapped into the right conversations and the right communities that, that demonstrate that? Look, final question. What is, what is the risk of communicators like us failing to build trust in technology, whether that be AI or IoT or anything else that's coming down the line, you know, what what role do we have in the future of this the success of these technologies? I have very lofty aspirations for communications and I can sometimes overthink the think things. I mean I, I generally feel we are heading into what could be quite an interesting next sort of three to five years. Um, I generally feel we're heading into a kind of a near future where society itself is going to become the, the sustainability issue. And actually, it's the job of communicators to work with technology companies, large and small, to ensure that their technologies are well understood. At the same time, their why is known. And that ultimately, we can sort of tie that back into some sense of purpose and the fact that their technologies ultimately need to provide some benefit. And if, for example, their technologies are driving amazing efficiencies and efficiencies often mean removing people from the equation then what are they doing as a technology industry to think about the impact that can have on the societies that they're disrupting i think these are big and important questions that communications and communicators will need to play a role in and uh, narrowing it kind of down because that is the big picture uh, one big thing as we talk about hype is how can communicators avoid adding to the deluge of fake news? Very narrowly Good speaking, point. yeah. How uh, it it's going to get ever more difficult for consumers to discern what is real and what isn't real. Uh, and public relations is arguably sometimes, often, part of the problem. And I think as good communicators we earn trust and it only works if as good communicators we fight that fake news that means sometimes pushing back against clients it sometimes makes sure that journalists don't overact the pudding but have a reality check that's a very challenging thing to do and of course yes you want to have your client 
appear in a good light but one has to be realistic because ultimately long term if we uh, undermine that trust and allow that rise of fake news then we just damage all of it the, the industry the technology our profession and our clients and most importantly the consumer Justin, Tim, thank you very much for taking the time and I hope everyone can join in for future episodes.